Have you ever wondered, what do these people know that I don't know? How do I do it? How do I find my purpose, my passions? What if you could sit down with some of the wisest experts, everyday leaders, and inspirational people who could answer your deepest questions? That is what we do here on the Inspirational Living Podcast. We invite you to join us as we hold conversations, share wisdom, tips, and tools to inspire you, ignite your passions and vision for your life, to awaken your sense of purpose and hope, and leave you inspired to design your best life. Join me, your host, psychologist Dr. Sean Horn, as we take you on an inspirational, motivational, and educational journey so you can inspire by living an inspired life. Today, we're going to talk about those shame storms, what I am calling a shame attack, how you can recognize it, what it is, how we experience it, and what we can do about those shame attacks. A shame attack is very similar to a panic attack. It hits you, it affects your body, it affects your nervous system on a physiological level, and then our thoughts get activated, our feelings get activated, and that will then drive our behavior, resulting in consequences that can cause a bigger problem, and that turns that shame back around into a shame loop where we shame ourselves again, and round and round we go. If you have had a panic attack or know someone who has, it feels like this phenomenon hits them and their bodies are hijacked. There's, they often think there's nothing they can do about it and they are absolutely overwhelmed by the experience. They end up getting anxiety about anxiety or panic about panic or about being panicked. It's as if it has traumatized them having this mental health experience that feels so out of their control. What I often share with my clients is it's one of the easiest things to treat. We just need a certain intervention, a specific tool that we can use to help that person get hold of their physiological response and know how to manage their thoughts and their feelings related to that panic. So what happens with panic attacks is we have a certain formula steps it that uh, occur that bloom that panic attack. And the first is that you typically have an activating event that happens in your world that will activate your body. Before, we used to think it would activate a thought and then that thought would trigger a feeling. That's what we call top down where we say the thoughts affect the body and therapy would traditionally target those thoughts. However, with the newest research that's come out about polyvagal theory, we now subscribe to the idea that we are bottom up, which means that we feel things in our body, which then will affect our thoughts. Now, when it comes to panic, both happen together. We can be bottom up, which then takes us from top down, meaning something triggers a nervous system response in me. My body gets fired up. It alarms my thoughts. And then my thoughts will feed more thoughts. It will say, oh my gosh, this is really bad, really scary. And then that thought scares me even more. 
and my body starts to get more escalated. So my heart rate, heart rate may go up and my thoughts go, oh my gosh, see, my heart rate's going up. I'm going to have a panic attack. The body gets more panicked. The, the mind gets more alarm and round and round you go. And then boom, here comes the panic attack. Sometimes it happens much quicker than that. And in those cases, it really is puzzling to many people because they can't link the external factors or variables and the thought variables that contributed to that panic attack. In those cases, we do have a lot more information to explore and look at that could help us inform us on why that person's body is having that. But let's use this analogy of a panic attack when we look at a shame attack. A shame attack happens very similarly. As you've heard me to say, shame is social trauma. Trauma is anything that threatens your life, threatens your sense of welfare, it shakes your nervous system, and you are unable to regroup, to calm the nervous system, and get to a regulated state. Now, in a future podcast, we're going to talk about the different kinds of trauma because we have little T and big T trauma. For example, you have the I was in 9-11 type trauma versus I'm having ongoing conflicts and my, my body's getting jarred and affected and I'm not able to downregulate myself. And so you have trauma related to that, which I'll go into more detail. For the purpose of this episode, though, we're going to keep it focused on just the general concept that you had an interaction with a parent with a teacher, with siblings, with a community that jarred your nervous system. It gave you the message that you are not safe. You are not okay. Who you are, your feelings, your thoughts, your behaviors are not meeting a standard that is set for you by the outside world, by these adults, this school, this community. And because of that, you are being exiled, harmed, abused, rejected, unloved, and so forth. When we get that message, we are highly motivated to make sure that we never, ever, ever again experience that level of shame. We do everything to protect ourselves from it, to guard from it, and to ensure that we will be safe in the context of social relationships. This will breed our false selves, our masks, our ego states, our shame shields to protect us, to protect this sense that I'm not okay. This is where you get imposter syndrome and these hidden beliefs down deep in our hearts that something really is wrong with us and we're really not good enough and we get scared, scared to show that, reveal that to people. So ultimately, we end up getting shame trauma syndrome. It's very similar to PTSD, where just like PTSD, you become hypervigilant about people's thoughts, behaviors, feelings toward you. You become highly motivated to control people's experience of you, trying to make sure that they see you a certain way, that they're not mad at you, that they approve of you, accept you, love you, that you belong, that you're welcomed, you're wanted, you're included, and so forth. So 
as we go through our daily life, we can have interactions with people that will trigger us and our shame. So let's say you're talking to somebody and you kind of have that moment where you put your foot in your mouth and you say something that later at when you think about it, you go, oh my gosh, I wish I didn't say that. Or, oh, that sounded like uh, something different than what I intended. If there is a history of shame, then that will fire up your body, meaning you will have a nervous system response activating your fight and flight response or your freeze response and bring you into a hypervigilant state. So this happened to me recently. This is why I'm talking about it. (laughs) I always find that when I struggle with something, if I can teach it, it really helps me in my own healing. What it does is it kind of takes me outside the painting so I can see the painting and then I can put it into perspective and maintain my center of emotional gravity in the midst of whatever circumstance I am in. So I was talking to someone and I was talking very freely. I wasn't really thinking before I was speaking. That often happens to me. And I said some things and I got off of the phone and all of a sudden I had a different evaluation of what I said. I thought, oh gosh, that sounded like I was kind of putting that person down or I was minimizing what they do. Then that thought fired up my body. My nervous system went into a fight and flight and all of a sudden I got really worried about, are they thinking this? Are they thinking that I was saying this about them? Are they feeling hurt? Are they feeling offended? What are they going to do with me? Or maybe they won't want to be my friend anymore. Maybe they won't want to talk to me anymore. It made me very anxious. So I reached out and said a couple more things in a message, and then I got no response. That lack of response kicked up my anxiety even more. Now, what happens when we get into a fight and flight state is our survival brain wants to know that we're okay. So it will lean in to gather more information. And I happened to come across some content on social media where I saw some activities that were going on of which I was not invited or included. Now, because I'm in this shame state, emotionally vulnerable, my emotions were so heightened that it activated paranoia. It brought on a whole storm of thoughts that historically I have struggled with. And these thoughts were along the lines of not being included, not being wanted, being on the outside, uh, having people think negatively about me, and so forth. Well, this fired up a 4th of July in my nervous system like I have not had in years. At this moment then, I had a full-on shame attack. I felt tremendously emotionally overwhelmed, full of anxiety, full of paranoid thoughts. My body started to have an alarm reaction. My stomach was nervous. I had butterflies in my stomach. I was tense. I had difficulty sleeping. I had difficulty concentrating. My thoughts were 
dissecting my every word. They were reviewing what I said, reviewing what the other person said, was full of these fears of the worst case scenario happening in my relationship with this person. I started to project into the future, catastrophizing what it meant. If this, if this happened, if they think this about me, then it will mean this for my future. And it got scarier and scarier. I was able to catch it and observe that I was having a shame storm. Because of that, I knew not to trust what I was thinking. I knew that I was drunk with shame. And because I was under its influence, I did not want to drive the car of life because if I did, I would get a DUI. And I don't want that. So I knew I needed to work on regulating my nervous system. I put some rubbing alcohol and cotton balls, put them in my ears to help activate my parasympathetic response, the green light of your nervous system. You can see that technique on my YouTube channel and my social media, TikTok and Instagram. I also did some tapping. I went for a walk. I shook my body and I rode that wave. I gave myself some time to cool off, to calm down, to get a different perspective. I recognized that what my thoughts were telling me was my old song. It was my old mantra of the narrative of what I used to believe about myself and the world. It took a little time, honestly, because the person did not respond. And I had to challenge that in my mind, thinking about all the other ways and reasons why they wouldn't respond. Fortunately, in this scenario, I was able to hear my message. And I went back and listened to myself. I was scared to death. I did not want to look back and say and hear what I was saying in case it really was that bad. I was just so horrified. I really did not want to review that. But I needed to to reality check myself. And when I did, I was shocked because what my mind was recalling about my conversation was not my conversation. In fact, I was not insensitive. I was not minimizing. I was just stating some things in a very neutral way. However, my mind recalled it in such a more extreme way. And this is what happens when our nervous system gets activated into a trauma response. Everything seems bigger, louder, scarier. We begin to project our fears onto our future and we require, actually demand our current situation to soothe us because we have lost our sense of emotional centering, our center of gravity. You'll hear me talk about that with the emotional sobriety information. Now, when we're practicing emotional sobriety, we no longer demand on our environment to meet those early wounds that we have to resolve those wounds we have to give us a message that I'm okay, I'm acceptable, I belong, I'm wanted, I'm loved. That is what we needed when we were children earlier in our lives. But now we're adults. And so now we need to do that for ourselves. And so I had a little conversation with myself saying, Sean, it's okay. It's okay. There are times we put our foot in our mouth. There's times we make mistakes. And people who can endure the time with you to build a relationship with you, 
they will be resilient. They will come to you and talk to you if there is a problem, if they are offended, and perhaps they'll, they'll attend to that and bring it up to you so you can mend the situation. They'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And ultimately, they will remain your friend. If this person's unable to do that, they don't attend to the relationship, they don't have that resilience, that there's something else going on, then that isn't able to really endure the test of time. And that person is likely to not really be fully available, fully emotionally available to be in a friendship or relationship with you. So I accept that. I radically accept that. It's uncomfortable, but I trust it will be what it is meant to be. I reassured myself that I know I'm a good person and I don't desire to hurt or harm anyone. And clearly I would attend to something if someone told me that I upset them. I would want to let them know that matters to me and I want to improve that situation and look at how we can improve it. So I had to reassure myself in a way to say, this is uncomfortable, but it is okay. We are perfectly imperfect. Yes, we all make mistakes but it is okay. And I re I turned my attention away from focusing on that person or that situation to the here and now, to what I needed to do in this moment. What is the task at hand right now? And accept that I might not be friends with everybody else who's friends. I might not be included to everything that I see other people go to. And that's okay. We can't include everyone. In fact, no one is thinking about me as much as I'm thinking about me. <laughs> I've made myself way too important to be the center of the world in that moment. And for me to expect that others are going to hold me in the same light or the same importance as my current self-focus is placing the importance on. They may not even have me on their radar. And perhaps there's reasons why I wasn't involved, such as Maybe the tickets are sold out, or maybe they could only have three guests and they were told, can you please bring these three people? There's so many different scenarios that play into why we're involved or not, why we're included or not. And we have to make peace with that. We have to build the ability to tolerate that people can have relationships with other people and it doesn't have to all be connected with us. That there is our time and there's times where it's not our time. So as I regrouped, I put it in perspective. I expressed self-compassion and self-acceptance and I tolerated that discomfort. I regulated my emotions by calming, doing my vagal tone exercises, grounding myself. My shame storm calmed and I came back to reality. The shame was taking me into the land of Oz, but I was able to bring myself back to reality. Thank goodness, because man, that is a tough one to get through. It's really, really intense. So let's look at that uh, a little bit more into the different categories of symptoms that we experience when we have a shame storm. So the first one is we have thoughts that get activated. So we have thought symptoms, cognitive symptoms, and those include ruminating on the interaction. You are obsessing about it. You're going over it over and over in your mind. Perhaps you have had the experience of going to bed at night and you're laying in bed and you're just thinking 
of every word you said, every interaction you had, evaluating it, judging it, and being very anxious about it. You obsess over making a mistake. It feels absolutely unbearable to make a mistake. So threatening, the idea that you didn't meet a standard. You didn't meet their expectation. You have fearful thoughts of being disliked, unwanted, rejected, not included, unloved, and so forth. Your paranoia gets really activated. You may start to have thoughts that people are talking about you, that they're talking and gossiping with other people, that people are teaming up to not include you, that they are doing it intentionally, and there's some conspiracy that's happening against you. You personalize the situation, other people's feelings, actions, behaviors. You put it in a, in to your own personal narrative. They're upset because of me. They did that because of me. They're, they're not um, behaving this way because of me. That is a thinking error and we must guard against personalizing. As a rule of thumb, do not personalize. You just got to make that rule for yourself. We begin to build stories, narratives to support our paranoia that tell, make it make sense to us. This is why it is happening. But we fail to ever test those narratives, to ever challenge them. We just believe them. We have other thought distortions like black and white thinking, generalizing the experience. I always have this problem. I always have. I always will. And we catastrophize it and fortune tell where we project it in the future and say, I will never have friends. I will lose all these opportunities that will be so awful and bad. We're hypervigilant with every thought, every action, every person's thoughts, every person's feelings, every person's actions. And these cognitive dynamics are intrusive. We don't want that, but we can't stop it. And we start to recall every other error in our history, every relationship failure, every conflict we ever had, it comes into our mind. We can experience emotional symptoms such as intense, unbearable fear and anxiety, panic, increase in self-doubt, insecurity, shame is driving this show. You feel out of control, helpless, hopeless. You feel depressed, low, feeling unwanted, unloved, disliked. You become irritable, angry, or withdrawn and ashamed. The physiological symptoms that you may experience is increased heart rate, shaking, sweating. Your throat may close up. You might get a sore throat. Your stomach might get upset. You start to get a narrowing of your senses, focusing only on the threatening information. You're filtering it to notice you only hear certain sounds or see certain things. You essentially are having a full trauma response. You have sleep disturbance, changes in your appetite where you're really hungry or you can't eat at all. You have changes in your energy where you're either hypomanic, really impulsive, really energized, or just totally wiped out where you can't think, you can't move. You feel like you're moving through tar or, or mud and you have a sense of impending doom. So you get the gut issues. Some people can actually develop ulcers from this or IBS and other somatic symptoms of illness. 
Then you have behavioral symptoms like isolating, you're more impulsive, you start getting diarrhea of the mouth, you can't stop talking, you go to unhealthy coping skills of eating too much, drinking too much, shame dumping on other people, like you're upset about this relationship over here, so I go home and I get mad at my husband. That would be um, where I'm displacing what I feel on him and now I'm shame dumping on him. I could have avoidance, feel isolated, attack myself and others and more. Now, some of us can experience this for a full day, for weeks or months, or even it can last for a year or so. It's really hard to shake it. And especially if we let it take us for a ride. I remember one time in my life uh, after I gave birth to my children, I believe that I probably have postpartum anxiety and I became so lost in this shame storm that was just so hard to shake. And it really stuck with me for a while. Good news is it does go away eventually, but we have to put it into perspective because without correction, it will form core beliefs about ourselves and others. It will develop our world, a worldview that is shame-based. And we will continue to have an ongoing trauma response in our body. It's very important to remember when you have a shame attack that this is a trauma syndrome. This is a trauma response. I call it shame trauma response. It is not who you are. It is a brain and body experience. And the good news is that we can heal it. We can get hold of it. We can use this information, this awareness of how our bodies work, how our nervous system works to put it in perspective that it's not hijacking you. It's a trauma response. Use the polyvagal theory to inform you about your nervous system. And then we learn these tricks and tools to calm our nervous system with the vagal tone exercises. We get mindset tools such as mindfulness, distress tolerance to manage our cognitive symptoms. We use emotion regulating tools to attend to our emotions. Now, part of emotion regulation is we understand that emotions inform us. They're not meant to control us, but they're meant to inform us. So we use skills to get behind the protest of the emotion and hear the request of that emotion. And we use our distress tolerance skills to cope in that moment to weather the suffering that we're having, the pain that we're having, but we're doing it by not resisting it, not trying to control it or change it, or feel this sense of urgency that we need it to be better right now. We need this person to soothe us right now. We need reassurance right now. We let that go because if we're responding to that, we will demand that the outside world does that for us. And that will cause problems in our relationships and problems in how we think about those relationships. So that's the solution that will create a bigger problem. You'll hear us talk in emotional sobriety that when you hold those expectations for the relationship, you cannot fully love that person because you have requirements that they must meet for you to stay in relationship with them. And if we want to have healthy relationships, we need to really release some of those hidden expectations and unenforceable rules that we have You'll hear me talk more about that in the future. So we use these nervous system tools, mindset tools, emotion tools, distress tolerance tools to ground ourselves. 
And if all that just seems so overwhelming, if you just conclude that you're drunk with shame, you need to sober up, give yourself some time, turn the mind from obsessing on this by redirecting it into the here and now, focusing all your attention into this moment, reassure yourself, comfort yourself, sleep, get some rest, get some exercise. You may have a different perspective once you sober up. That's what I have to share with you today about a shame attack. It is like a panic attack. It's very intense, but I hope you will not own it, not let it define you, not merge with it and mesh with it and make it who you are, but instead observe it as something that is putting your physiology under the influence and is altering your perspective, it's altering your thoughts, and it's compelling you to take action that may create bigger problems. We just got to sober up, and try again, and know that we're okay. We're okay. We all put our foot in our mouth. We all do stuff we regret. I will say that that person eventually responded, and it was there was no issue there. They never brought it up, and we were okay. That's what we often find is that things end up being okay. I chose not to reality check it just because of other circumstances. I worked through it on my own, but under other circumstances, I might have reality checked it with that person to said, hey, kind of felt a little funky about that. Were you okay, or did that feel funky to you too? Let's talk about it. And then I would give it an opportunity to clean it up. Make sure you sign up for my Inspired Living School so you can learn more about these tools and put it into action to help you sober up, to help you master your circumstances and situations effectively and masterfully and find your peace, find your contentment, be able to stay grounded in your emotional center of gravity, being emotionally sober and knowing that you are perfect just the way you are and at the same time, striving to improve. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this discussion was inspiring and uplifting to your journey. Please remember this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant to substitute a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Also, make sure you rate this show, share with those you know, and send us a shout out. Please message me with any topics you would like me to address or questions you have on social media at Dr. Sean Horn or on my website. Thank you again and may you find joy in the journey and be richly blessed.